Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. And April Collins. Hi there. Yes, it's the Ghibli Rewatch Podcast. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all of the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming for the first time ever on HBO Max in the US and Netflix in the rest of the world except for Japan. Canada's getting added too, which is very exciting soon. Um, we will be uh, having new podcasts every Wednesday as we go through the whole catalog at OverlyAnimated.com. Um, I'm a Ghibli expert. We're joined by uh, people with a variety of Ghibli experience. Make sure today, this week, we're talking Kiki's Delivery Service. Very exciting. Yay! Make sure Woo! you've seen this movie because we'll be getting into full spoilers for all of Kiki's Delivery Service. We'll be vaguely referencing other Studio Ghibli movies, but it's okay if you've not seen other ones. Um, and uh, you can watch if you're watching along with us, watch subs or dubs, whatever you want. We'll be primarily talking about the subs, although there's uh, a lot of probably some dub things to get into with this movie. Um, but uh, whatever you prefer in terms of watching. So let's get on to Kiki's Delivery Service. Very exciting uh, one that we've arrived at here. Although all these early ones, very exciting. Um, Kiki's, though, we're, now we're in... 1989, one year after Totoro came out, already Miyazaki has his next film being released. And this is a big one. This is Ghibli's first major box office success success in Japan. I know that's such a tricky phrase to say. (laughs) Um, It was the highest grossing film in Japan in 1989. Wow. I think we're starting with that. That'll start to be a uh, recurring thing, I think, with some of these later ones. Um, but uh, this is this movie is very loosely based on a young adult novel by Aiko Kadano. Um, and we'll talk about some of the differences, I think. Uh, Miyazaki started working on this movie the day after he finished Totoro. Uh, <laughs> very Miyazaki <laughs> thing. workaholic spirit. Yeah. He t- yeah. There were, originally, it was going to be directed by uh, other people, but he started... Uh, input, getting his input onto the script, and once that happens, he needs full full control. So then he started directing it. Um, and this is and after he's he's pretty burnt out after this. This is kind of the last nonstop uh, movie in the nonstop period of his working. Like I think after this is kind of the end to what you might call Studio Ghibli era one or something. Like they they rework the studio after this uh, to a certain extent. I know that's happened a few times more recent times and Miyazaki himself was like I, I kind of want to retire after this movie so this is the first of his uh it starts. the, the oh, first so of funny. his a million retirements but he they so they instead they restructure Studio Ghibli he he stops releasing a movie basically every year and uh they can t- so then he's able to continue on to some some real classics uh, after this um yeah, but this movie itself, I mean, this has a legacy as uh, an extremely, I think, meaningful film to many women and people, and it just potentially Miyazaki's most feminist film. So uh, those are some big topics to get into um, amongst uh, many others with Kiki's Delivery Service. So let's get um, some initial thoughts on your history with this movie, and what do you think of it, Michelle? I I honestly forgot that I might have seen this movie as a sort of child, like as a like somewhere around like ten to fourteen might have been the first time I really watched it, and I think that was just because it was one of the ones that 
more people in the U.S. like gave their children than a lot of other yeah. Miyazaki movies at the time. Like this and Spirited Away and Totoro are like the only ones I can think of that most people kind of know about if you talk about Miyazaki. So I remember liking it as a kid, but I remember especially as a teenager when I was revisiting it, it was a really big deal to me just because Kiki, Kiki's like, she's being so independent at such a young age. And it was just so nice to see the movie not shy away from the harder aspects of trying to, you know, do a job and be kind of on your own and like not have the money to buy anything but pancakes or like be disappointed when like you don't feel like the thing you used to love like feels good anymore because you have it's like your work it's your job now like all that stuff just feels so relevant and the fact that she's a girl's like a big part of that too because like in a way I know when I was younger especially like in high school and in college I started getting really stressed out about thinking about how I was gonna like live post school because so much of my life had been structured and school-based and I literally couldn't imagine how it was going to feel to live on my own and have like a job job and I think like in its own way Kiki really helped because like that's a kind of you know visual re reinforcement of like well Kiki's making it work and like maybe she's not like a real person but her struggle is very real and her her working through all this and like you know, she gets so frustrated at times. Like, I love that they don't shy away from, like, her range of emotions and that it's not, like, this beautiful, simple thing, what she's doing. And that honestly, like, helped me a lot, like, get out of my own head. So, I love Kiki. It's such She's such a great character. The movie's so good. It's very much her movie. And Tombo's just kind of there supporting her and having awkward interactions with her, which is <laughs> wonderful. Okay, I didn't think you'd mention Tombo in your initial thoughts, but there we got to talk <laughs> to Tombo. Right. <laughs> that's awesome to hear, Michelle. Um, that's, Kiki's real in our hearts. That's, that's yeah, what we can say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, April, um, we haven't heard you before in this series, so uh, also in addition to uh, your history with Kiki and what you think of this movie, also what's your history with Studio Ghibli movies? So with Studio Ghibli movies, I'll start off with that. Um, I grew up with a lot of them. Um, obviously, like Totoro and Kiki, uh, Spirited Away, uh, Princess Mononoke. I, I grew up with so many. Pocoroso, I remember watching that as a kid. Um, and with Kiki's in particular, I, so me and Kiki are the same age. Uh, so, <laughs> and isn't I, Kiki perpetually thirteen? So is I, that well, I was April. That's what she did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm perpetually thirteen. Um, no, it came out in 1989, which okay, is when I was born. Okay. So, I like to think that me and Kiki are the same age. Um, <laughs> but I, I just like I just have like the fondest memories of watching this movie over and over again with like my best friend growing up. Uh, her name was Tommy and I'm, we would just go to her house and we'd be like, Oh, let's watch a movie. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I don't know. Okay. Let's watch Kiki's. And then we'd watch it be totally <laughs> content. Like, so, or like if we were going on like a long car trip, her, her uh, family had one of those cool vans that had like the VHS player in the, and it had the screen and everything. So we would just watch Kiki uh, on whatever road trip we were going on. So 
But so that's, I guess, my history of it. Um, I This is my favorite uh, Ghibli movie. So I watch it every Yay. year on my birthday. Um, uh, whether I'm with people or by myself, it doesn't matter. I watch it on my <laughs> birthday. I remember <laughs> like a couple of years ago I went and like I bought – it was in theaters on my birthday and – I was like, I'm buying a ticket to this. Like, no one else could go with me. I went completely by myself, and <laughs> I had the best time. And then it was hilarious because, like, one of my coworkers was sitting, like, a row down or so, uh, and he was like, is that you, April? And I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, are you here alone? And I was like, yeah, it's my birthday. And he's like, <laughs> okay, well, uh let me buy you like a beverage. And I was like, perfect. Like you don't have to do that. But <laughs> so, um, so yes, this movie is very near and dear to my heart specifically because I guess the time that I started mostly watching it, I was literally like the same age as Kiki. And so I, I just remember like connecting with her on so many levels because I've been very independent, like from uh, that age and before. And so I was just like, look at this girl. She's going out there in the world and she is, she is making it happen. Like, and like, there's like so many times in my life where like watching, like when I doubted, I guess like what was going on in my own life, I was like, yeah, but like Kiki moved away from her family. I can do the same. Like, so just finding like the strength and I guess someone that I very much relate to. Like, I think that me and her, um, I, I think I'm a little bit more friendly than Kiki is, or I've always <laughs> been a little bit more friendly, but like, I would still have like crazy, like moments in inside my head where I would just be like, don't you think it's rude that you didn't introduce yourself? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but but yeah, and I think it's just it it's so like empowering like as I'm as I'm now older and looking back, it's just a very like empowering like film because, you know, this 13-year-old girl is going out into the world and leaving her family and finding her own way and there's and she succeeds and yeah, it's not easy, but she does it and that's just that's incredible. I think that's an amazing message. That's awesome. Um so yeah, April's favorite movie, very excited to talk about all the reasons why um i think you hit on a lot of really great stuff already um yeah i i echo watching kiki at a young age i think this was either the first or second ghibli movie i ever saw because um i think this in spirited away like actually yeah like when i was a actual kid i think my family got these from netflix DVD, like physical DVDs from Netflix. That used Ooh, to be a thing. Old school Netflix. Um, yeah, I think this is one of the ones we got from that. Um, so this is yeah, one of my first experiences with Studio Ghibli, probably anime in general, I would say. Um, but yeah, this this was like, this was big um, in the US, I would say, in the mid-2000s, whenever the dub the dub came out. It was a pretty, pretty big movie. Um, definitely one of the most popular uh, Ghibli movies of that time and I think it's probably still one of the more recognizable ones I, th- I think I didn't have like when I was a kid didn't have quite the connection to this movie which I think you you too and a lot of other people have I mean I think it makes sense I had less of a reaction you know a young boy watching versus a young girl watching this movie um, so I was really interested this time when revisiting the movie to like try to get into all the reasons why this is such a special movie to many people and we're I'm going to focus a lot on that when we're talking about it um, but uh, I, I, re- I really like this movie I really liked rewatching it 
Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I think it's like really, really good in the beginning. There's a little, a little bit like the last third or something maybe slightly loses me a little bit, but I still think it's great. And I love, uh, the ending, um, love Kiki herself. Uh, I think that's a character that gets better. Like the more you like analyze her and stuff, like, I think there's a lot of really great things about Kiki to talk about. I think she ends up being probably one of Miyazaki's best heroines. Um, and, uh, I think it's it's a great movie, really strong, like fourth Miyazaki movie we're covering. I mean, this it's really hard to compare any of these. They're all really excellent so far and will continue to be um, getting into them. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think I think I want to start where I, what I was talking about with the, the introduction to Kiki, um, which was in in kind of my thoughts on Kiki, which is like, why this is a special movie? Because that's kind of something that just comes up whenever we've mentioned Kiki kind of throughout this, this history of this podcast or just seeing people um in general talking about is it it is a really special movie to i think to a lot of women and in general to a lot of people um and i think like we could analyze all the aspects of why this movie is so feminist and we will um but maybe more generally uh you know like like what what is it about this movie i would say for you guys to start with personally and you guys talked about it a little bit um but if you could kind of try to distill like What's so magical about Kiki for you kind of personally, maybe versus other similar movies? Michelle, do you have, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it became more apparent the more I watched it. Um, but one of the things that really stands out about Kiki as a movie is it it has this attention to detail about like the awkwardness of being a girl of a certain age that... Like, I never would have expected, but so good. And just to give you an example, like, towards the beginning when Kiki's, like, walking down the street, I think she's, like, delivered. Like, she's feeling good. Like, she's feeling confident. Gigi's with her. And then she sees these three girls who are about her age. And they're, like, city girls. And they're talking and laughing together. And, like, her mood completely shifts. And it... And then she makes like a comment right after it. She's like, I wish I had something pretty to wear. My dress is so ugly. And that kind of thing is super relatable, but also is not something you see highlighted a lot. Like that kind of like you want to fit in. You're intimidated by other people. You feel kind of awkward. And sometimes your response is just to like negatively think of yourself and want to change. Like I think especially like her being 13 has a lot to do with that. But that kind of moment's so good. Or like when Tombo is in the car full of his friends and he drives up by her and is like talking about her to them. And she immediately gets very turned off by that because like for her, it's very embarrassing. She's like put on the spotlight. She didn't ask for that. She doesn't want to feel different. She's afraid these other kids are judging her. Like all that's communicated so well just from like the way they interact with each other. And I, I just, I love that Kiki's like given the space to be like really uncomfortable in those moments or frustrated in those moments and handles it the way a 13 year old would. And that, that creates a lot of the like minor, but like kind of through line conflict of her and Tombo, especially in the movie. But it's like, so like, yeah, they're 13 years old. This is how like that would go. And I just, I love that they spend so much time dealing with all that because it helps it feel like a lot more realistic kind of like as realistic as like a movie about a witch who like flies and does delivery services on a broomstick could be it's like the touches like that that feel like they really went the extra mile to make it feel more representative of like 
teenage girls especially. So, yeah, for me, it's, like, really moments like that or just, like, when she's, like, you know, feeling depressed and, like, there's that meme moment of when she kind of just, like, falls face down on her bed and just lays there because she's just so tired and she is thinking about all these things and she isn't quite sure what she wants to do with herself. And it's, like, even letting her just be that, like, tired and, and kind of depressed and, and a little listless is something that like is really nice because a lot of movies seem to have this like urge to just if it's a young girl character she's like gotta be the voice of wisdom or she's always gotta be like peppy and upbeat and she's gonna change other people's lives but, like really it's like Kiki's figuring her own stuff out and that's a messy process and it's that's more realistic I love that point that this movie does not shy away from having Kiki display negative emotions. Yeah. Yes. It's a big deal about like why like, yeah. it makes her human. Exactly. Yeah. Because not everyone's going to like live perfectly in a set mood. And I think that's something that helps like everyone relate to Kiki, not just like young girls, but mm-hmm. for, you know, like guys as well is because like she, she is only human. And yeah. so like, and yeah, she's a witch and she naturally stands out. Um, but I think like everyone feels that way too, is that like we all feel like we naturally stand out, even if we don't, or I mean, because we're all different. And so like she has like all of her like very like, I say human moments, like whenever she is like getting ready to like leave her home, she like turns to Gigi and she's like, yeah, I know we said that we were going to leave like next month, but what if I meet a cute boy and fall in love and get married? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that moment's just like great. And then she even like, you know, she brings that up because again, she's a teenage girl and that's, you know, something that's mm-hmm. on her mind at that age or on anybody's mind really is like, oh, like getting a girlfriend, getting a boyfriend, doing, you know, trying to fit in with friends, trying to make friends. So I think that that's like the biggest part about Kiki's appeal is just because she's so relatable to everybody. Like she's not perfect. She makes mistakes. She, you know, falls flat on her face or hits some trees or whatever. So (laughs) probably hits a lot of trees. Her inability to fly very well is one of my favorite things about (laughs) Kiki. Like her flying style is so all over the place, but that's part of her charm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like even though she's not like, and that's something else too, is that even though she's not like the perfect character, she's not the best, you know, at flying on a broom, but she's still doing it anyway because she likes it. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this related point of generally Kiki as a believable uh, like character or like a real like person seemingly. Um, I mean, in terms of the negative emotions, compare it to like any I feel like modern anime female protagonist. You know, like I feel like ever they're always peppy and uh, it's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a trope. But just the 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 negativity like that Miyazaki allows Kiki to display in the movie is. Uh, I think incredibly striking compared to modern uh, media and in a certain aspect, one of the most, I feel like feminist aspects of Kiki is just showing the wide range of emotions. I want to start, I want to bring in a, a quote that ties into this. I'm going to be referencing uh, Susan Napier's Miyazaki world book, 
uh, throughout this, and she has um, a, a related passage about Kiki, and also generally an introduction to some of the broader things about the movie. She says, This mixture of detailed realism and fantasy elements gives Kiki its particular strength. Miyazaki had already made a name for himself by creating strong female characters in uh, Nasuka, Laputa, and the previous year's Totoro, but none has the intricate mixture of traits that make that makes Kiki such a believable character. We see her express a range of emotion from the positive, mm-hmm. such as childlike enthusiasm, simple joy, and sincere gratitude, to more complicated and often negative feelings, embarrassment and shyness, and enemy and despair. Uh, paradoxically, The Young Witch is one of Miyazaki's most human characters, and the movies itself is one of the director's most heartfelt coming-of-age stories. And we'll talk about it being a coming-of-age story. But yeah, this this point of the range of emotion she does, she displays, I think, is a, is a really good one. Um, and I think that's... Tying into a big reason of um, why you guys found her, maybe what you guys have said about finding the movie uh, special is Kiki is a believable character. April, like I know you've touched on a lot in your in your introduction, but uh, any other um, kind of like big reasons coming to mind why this movie is is so special? Um, I think something else to be said is not only like all of the characters are pretty enjoyable as well, not just Kiki herself, but like Gigi's, you know, funny has his moments, but yet is, you know, really sassy, but still supportive. Like Osono is great. I wish she could adopt me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like even like Tombo isn't like a terrible character. He's just like a really supportive, like male human um, in Kiki's life or friend, I guess. They, they're <laughs> friends, <laughs> even though Kiki doesn't like it for like the majority of the movie. <laughs> Seemingly, yeah. Uh, but so I think like besides Kiki, like it's just it's a nice like story that you're able to just be dropped into like and quickly catch what's going on as well. Um, and it's like a believable story too. Like you know in. I don't know like it's it's not complicated and I think that's like what's appealing about it is because then we get to have like such an amazing lead character in Kiki so and just exploring like her journey as she leaves home finds out who she is as a young witch in modern society yeah you're right it is it is a simple story and it's kind of like very character based I would say um, yeah this movie uh I, I think I think uh, what April is touching on kind of brings me to another kind of related topic. Here's another quote from Susan Napier. Um, she says, over the years, Kiki's stories become a touchstone for many young people, particularly but not exclusively girls, who see in her adventures a fantasy template for their own development. While Koriko's architectural beauty beckons the romantic traveler, the heart of the film lies in the satisfying and diverse web of relationships, almost exclusively with women, that Kiki mm-hmm. develops. Mm-hmm. As in Totoro and Laputa, Miyazaki creates an idealized community, but this time he places it in the city. So briefly on that last point, kind of two topics, uh, I think this plays into a common topic we've been talking about in the Miyazaki set of tropes of the supportive collective. Um, we talked about that, Michelle, I know, at the end of the Castle in the Sky pod, but I definitely think... Um, Miyazaki, uh, the, the Kiki's kind of like web of de- relationships that she develops with all the deliveries she's making and those supporting her definitely like fit into the supportive collective mold that Miyazaki seems to to really uh, ide- idealize and, and portray in a lot of his movies. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, April mentioned kind of all the the people Kiki interacts with. That's what st- that stood out to me a lot on this rewatch. I feel like is um, so many female supporting characters uh, that. 
um, could easily not be there, be male or just not be there at all. Um, and I, I feel like it's shocking, uh, how many characters Miyazaki, uh, like, and this is true of all of his movies, but maybe this in particular, how many female characters he has prominently and a wide range of, of people that he portrays. Um, it's like, the fact that it's just like never happens with with male created properties um i don't know it, it it's it's almost unbelievable that that miyazaki constantly does this this movie in particular i mean and and to make it more impressive here's another quote from susan napier giving i think context to the uh to the to the book uh, maybe or maybe that's a different quote but um she says uh, kiki uh is fortunate for having many people around to help her whereas in the uh, yeah, it is this whereas the original novel largely centered around the interesting or amusing objects kiki had to deliver miyazaki's film oh. concentrates more on her her social encounters with the residents of koriko most of the male characters she meets are disappointments in contrast the female <laughs> characters which she, she elaborates on a little bit but uh, <laughs> i don't know is combo disappointment i think in many ways um in in contrast the <laughs> in contrast the female characters with the exception of some mean girls who make fun of Kiki are helpful and empathetic Kiki's first entrepreneurial encounters are not only with women but with mothers uh their babies either actual or incipient the emphasis on women and babies supports the critic Tomohiko Murakami's comment that Kiki becomes increasingly part of a network of women the variety and depth of this network of women provides a fresh perspective on the hero's journey, showing that women can serve as something beyond the cliched wise woman role common to many narratives. Um, yeah, Kiki's network of women. I feel like that really stands out to me from this movie. Yes. Um, She's got such a strong network of women, too. Like easy like because like i always remembered ursula because like of course she's gonna stand out she's like your wilderness artist lesbian like she she's, the, she's that friend we all want to disappear to in the woods for consolement and like really good advice but like yeah sono's there like the amazing fish pie woman is there and yeah. her like her person who just loves witches who's like also adorable there's and like it is true that like of the men we see, like, yeah, there's Tombo, there's the baker's husband, but he's, like, very, like, kind of tangentially there, mostly. Yeah. He's, like, there to show concern for her, to show off his twirling skills for Gigi, and to, like, <laughs> help his pregnant wife. But, like, it's kind of her business. She's the one who sells a lot of the food, not him. He's usually in the bag. I mean, and there's, like, the baby, I guess. The baby in the carriage. The, no, the yeah, so Susan, Susan Napier Literally. also cites the, uh, like, the hotel clerk and the policeman, who she both has negative oh, interactions oh, with. Oh, yeah. So are yeah. so negative. They're very rude to so, her. So, really, her, yeah. her positive interactions are all, all with women in the movie. Yeah. And and Tombo, yeah. She comes through, yeah, extent. she comes around to Tombo. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Tombo. <laughs> Poor guy. He doesn't understand what he's doing is so embarrassing and insulting for most of the movie. I think he's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice he how confident no he is of, of himself. He has no too. sense of self. Like <laughs> He just loves flying things. So to me, a flying girl is like his dream come true. Yeah, I right, think that's yeah. literally it. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally okay. We'll circle back to, to some. <laughs> uh, the here's here's another. Um, we're talking about all the female characters in the movie. Here's another Susan Napier quote. If anything, Miyazaki amplifies the novel's feminist aspects, bringing out some of the most groundbreaking elements more effectively than the book itself. He does this in two significant ways. First is highlighting 
the highlighting of the other female characters, in particular the self-sufficient young artist Ursula, who becomes a role model for Kiki at a critical juncture in her life. Ursula has a far lower profile in the book. In fact, Kadano does not even give her a name. In many ways, Ursula is Kiki's older self, which the director underlines by having the same voice actress play both roles. If you, oh, if you didn't know oh, that in the original Japanese. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't either. Not true of the dub, but in the Japanese yeah, original Japanese. <laughs> yeah. uh, another major difference, Miyazaki darkens the tone of the novel by acknowledging the cost of independence and emphasizing the loneliness and self-questioning accompanying ma- maturation. So I think we kind of talked about that in terms of the negative emotions Kiki experiences, but also kind of this the cost of, of maturation and growing older, I think is something we're also going to talk about. Um but uh yeah i i to me yeah i we i mean we talked about but all these amazing supporting female characters yeah so michelle for you ursula is is who stands out well she always was just because like she she was like so in control of her own life like she was so off the grid in a way that felt really exciting because she's just she's doing the art she wants she doesn't have to to do errands for anyone like i don't know how she makes her money maybe she sells her paintings but she loves being where she is i feel like she probably built that little cabin herself she's very self-sufficient she has just what she needs not anything more she is friends with all the crows even though i think they're kind of jerks but like she likes them she can draw them so she gets something out of it and she's just yeah she's like the cool big sister and she checks in on kiki and she she understands like what Kiki's going through in a way. And that's probably something we'll talk about later, but I feel like there's a lot of conversations about like the struggle of trying to be creative in like a marketable, like capitalist world. And I feel like that's something they have in common in their own way. And that's like such a good thing to kind of like bestow to someone at such an impressionable age. She's looking for guidance and she gives her really good advice. She's like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe you're, like, kind of burnt out right now. Maybe you legitimately do need to take a break. That's what I do when, like, I struggle with my art. And maybe your flying is, like, kind of your form of art. So, yeah. I mean, Ursula's just so wise and cool. And she's just, like, who who wouldn't want to have that much freedom to just do exactly what they wanted in their own way without dealing <laughs> with society sometimes, you know? Yeah, is that the ideal life, being in the woods, painting crows, crows. and random witch girls? <laughs> crows and all, yeah, you have to have yeah. crows. <laughs> that, that's the, the scene of when that you're talking about, when uh, they come back to Ursula's uh, the forest cabin, uh, the, when they're talking about kind of comparing what he's going through to Ursula's art, artist block. I think, yeah, that's that's one of the best scenes of the movie. I really love that. And the painting she's making of Kiki, it's really yeah. good. Um, yeah, but April, what do, you, what do you think of Ursula? Um, I love Ursula. I would date her, and uh, yes. we would we wouldn't get married because I don't feel like she's into that. It's totally okay. She's too off the grid. Yeah. So me and her will just live in the woods together, and every once in a while we'll go run errands in the city. It'll be great. Um, but no, I think um, Ursula especially stands out amongst you know all of the female characters just because she's able to give such great advice to Kiki when Kiki needs it most um i think it's like something to be noted that all of the you know the the network that Kiki has they all give her something whenever at at a time when she needs that like she has a sono who provides that like motherly support and you know sort of guidance in the beginning of it which is probably what Kiki needed at that time but then as you notice or as, you know, events roll out, she doesn't necessarily, like, rely on Asono as much, especially when she's going through her, um, 
her sort of bout of depression and being mm-hmm. discouraged. And then like, I mean, Tombo kind of gives her a little bit of that confidence and seeing how like great she is, even though, but then she gets even more discouraged and then like, <laughs> so it's a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster, but I think it, it's because like she needed it put into a specific way for her. And also I think it helps too that Ursula connected with her by sharing her own experience. So because, or, you know, Ursula is talking about her painting, which I'm going to assume is how she makes her money. Because she talks about, oh, you know, like, sometimes I'm just super uninspired and I have to walk away. And that's kind of what Kiki's going through is that, you know, she talks about how a lot she had talked with Tombo about how, like, she didn't like flying as much and because it was her job. And that's totally, you know, understandable because you can burn yourself out. And especially whenever you're as eager as she was to start. So, mm-hmm. So I think that's that's just something great about like Ursula is that she was able to give her the right advice at the right time. Um, and it, I mean, it's great advice. Like anyone can use that advice. So but then like, you know, she comes back and she sees the one lady with the fish pie. And Bertha. it is is it madam or Bertha? Which one's which, Dylan? Madam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't look up them. No, madam, the the one the, the Bertha seems to be some like a, a housekeeper to a certain Bertha's extent. Bertha's the to, housekeeper. To okay. Bertha's madam, the really yeah. excited one who likes I love Bertha. Bertha's so good. Bertha's, yeah. Bertha's <laughs> adorable. But okay, so but so after she, you know, visits with Ursula and then, you know, Ursula gives her that talk, and I think what she Kiki needed after that was just some more like, you know, positive encouragement or another person just being like, hey, I'm your friend. And that's what she got Mm -hmm. out of Madam. So I think that like, they like, she, you know, Ursula gives her the biggest part of it, but she get Kiki gets something from all of the women that she like interacts with. Yeah, I agree with that. And to close out Ursula, I mean, I need to get into, I guess, the subtopic since we we brought her up. And I I think Ursula associates, and we'll come back to the other woman in more depth, Ursula associates to me with the environmentalism of this movie, which I think is much less prominent than much less prominent. (laughs) And I think it's really interesting the way in which it is uh, an aspect of this movie almost by absence, because this movie uh, is strikingly urban. Um, compare this to most of Miyazaki's other movies take place in the countryside. In, um, I mean, the, his last movie just now was about going away from the city in Totoro, going away from the city to the countryside. And this movie, Kiki's doing the opposite and coming to the city. And one of Miyazaki's big themes is rediscovering the country and going back to, uh, not necessarily anti-city, but, um, in terms of how it plays into his, his view of nature and preservation, um, going back to more natural settings. So I think it is very striking in this movie that Kiki, um, goes to the city and almost the entire movie is spent in the city with the exception of when Kiki visits Ursula in the forest. Ursula's kind of the, the forest surrogate, maybe to a certain extent in this movie. Um, Kiki also grew up in like a small, like village yeah. as mm-hmm. well. So that, that would make sense too, that maybe Kiki needs to go back and sort of find her roots is what they're kind of trying to get at it as well. Or even going off of that, like one thing I noticed, I'd never watched the sub before until this last time. And there's a line after like the crows like yell at Kiki or like super (laughs) mean. Um, Gigi says like, oh, that's so rude. You know, crows used to like obey witches in the olden days. And Kiki says like, well, they don't do that anymore. 
but that implies like a whole cultural witch like lore that doesn't necessarily take place anymore probably from the result of just like you know capitalism and like cities cropping up and modernization like that's part of her roots that she doesn't have as much connection to anymore so i wonder like what that could say about the fact that yeah like going to the forest like maybe that is connecting to like a part of herself and like her lineage that she isn't really used to tapping into anymore as like a modern day witch. Yeah, it's a good point bring up. So in 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 the Herkiki chapter, Susan Napier talks about the three times of this movie: the the city, the urban time, the natural time, but also the witch time. Like the witch also, time, like, this third, yeah, uh, witch time. So it's pretty. Time. I think it's kind of, co- but thematically at least, you're right. There's like this this witch mythology kind of concurrent to the other things that are happening thematically in this movie that that makes things really interesting. But um, yeah, it's it, Kiki. Yep, maybe connects more with where she came from. Um, whether that's witch or natural, I do think she she comes from like a Less, less urban environment when when she's so when she's visiting Ursula connects with that um, and I, I think like Mizaki is probably just displaying a a realistic thing that he's observed a lot a lot of people going through in terms of going to the city I don't think it's something he himself is, is, is would espouse as we see in other movies um, but he's kind of portraying the uh, th- this journey he's observed in women around him and uh, and like so we see uh and and so we kind of see the negative aspects of that the crows so kiki uh, is very antagonistic with the crows ursula very uh positive i think that's potentially representative if the crows are nature Mm -hmm. Uh, ursula is in touch with nature kiki has kind of lost it to a certain extent she's very antagonistic with the crows that's kind of the consequence of, of her move to the city um, so I, th- I think these environmentalist themes are uh, much more subtle in this movie, and I feel very restrained of Miyazaki to not get into it more in this movie. Um, I think it's to the movie's benefit that we focus so much on Kiki and her interactions with everyone. Um, but definitely still present, even in one of Miyazaki's least uh, overt environmentalist movies, I think there's st- still some undercurrents to it. And I, th- I think that's probably enough, too. To, to say about that and i, and I like ursula just, as as her relation to kiki and also as this this uh relation to nature character he's he's saving all the nature stuff for princess mononoke don't worry guys i was gonna say he just dipped his focus from nature into plain stuff so he's still in his lane you <laughs> yeah know? that that's that's kind of true like this is the plain movie and then we yeah. go porco rosso next another big plain movie so yep. that's the- <laughs> he's got yeah. multiple buckets yeah, uh, yeah, I guess um, Nausicaa's kind of the best of both worlds, maybe. Yeah, both are very prominent. Are there planes in Spirited Away? Are there no planes? We'll talk about this when we get to that. Uh, there's a train. That's machinery. There's. That is, he does, like, he does like trains. There's yeah. a train in this movie. I love Kiki on the train with the, the cows started uh, licking, licking her feet and stuff. It's I don't know, so cute. Yeah. She's a star away. <laughs> I love it. yeah the beginning of the movie um with uh just her starting to fly and then the intro music playing and then just you see her going everywhere I don't know that that's it's one so of my exciting, favorite parts exciting right it's just yeah. you feel her excitement and just like taking off into the world yeah I, I think so we'll I'll come back to that and talk about the um, the music a little bit um getting into some of the other female characters in the movie um we talked about Osono um who yeah kind of a mother figure to Kiki when she comes. Uh, pregnant throughout the whole movie. Yes! Um, yeah. She's hella pregnant! <laughs> I love it! We but never show pregnant like... women 
and, and for how common it is to be a pregnant woman in this world, why are we so ashamed of showing it to other people? Like, what's wrong with being pregnant? It's natural. So, yeah, it's great that she's pregnant. There's nothing wrong being <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> it's great that, yeah. They have the baby at the end. They uh, do. I, I, I have to admit, I always forget. I don't know if this is weird or you guys will say I agree. The baker, I always forget he's her husband. I mean, like, I for some I reason, I have no idea. I always forget until the like the end, or <laughs> right? if, if I remind never, myself. They never talk to each other. They never smooth. There's no reason to think that they're, they're married. That, there's that, no public display. That's why it's perfect because they keep that <laughs> private. And they, they do, just, yeah. They're business partners during the day, and they don't have to to perform their infatuation for it to be real. The pregnancy is the proof of their infatuation. They don't, but even so with they, the pregnancy, I didn't. I, didn't I still don't. I still don't know that it's him. <laughs> I love. They don't how need to. That's how secure he, they are in their relationship. Yeah, That's I love true. how chill in the background he is. He's just like a quiet, buff, handsome baker. Who kind of like just lets his wife like you know run the show? He'll cook all the stuff, and once in a while he'll just like longingly look out the window, making sure Kiki comes home okay. And he makes a little sign for her, and he runs away when she comes in because he's like awkward about it. And then she hugs him, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And <laughs> yep. that's like the perfect man, right? Because <laughs> very talk, sweet and kind of awkward, and he'll just doing his best. And won't know what to do with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, especially the baked goods part. Like, that's an A-plus skill. That's the, the important part. And it's a lot of bread there, I think. Uh, well, they bread. sell all that bread. They need a lot. They do. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love the, the baker husband, too. Um, I want. I almost want to call him a himbo, but I think he's smart. I, I think, think he's, he's smart. He's just quiet. He's just, but he doesn't mean quiet. he's dumb. I, I love, do I, like... Kiki, the scene of Kiki going to the bathroom and like when she's coming back, she's, she's a little afraid of him. It's, yeah, it's real though because I think that's like her first night too. So like they really don't know each other. Yeah, Su- Susan Napier talked about that as like a very feminist scene of like they actually showed Kiki going to the bathroom. Like that's kind of like mm-hmm. a crazy mm-hmm. thing to show. Like a girl it's the same thing that being pregnant. Yeah, like. This was, like, pre, like, a huge, like, feminist movement. And so, like, you know, the world was just getting over the fact that Lucy and Ricky shared a bed on I Love Lucy. So, <laughs> yeah, let, let, me, let me bring a quote over the, the context of feminism in Japan at the time. A brief, a brief uh, snippet of, like, information about that. Uh, Susan Napier says, by the 1980s, women in Japan were more likely to go to college and work outside the home, at least for a while. Popular culture reflected this, as in the shoujo manga, that from the 1970s was increasingly increasingly featured powerful and independent heroines. In the discussion of Kiki, Miyazaki related her story to the young female staff members at Ghibli, noting that there is a similarity in Kiki with young women who come to the big city all alone, dreaming of making it as manga artists. Um, so I think I think we're we're post uh, a certain amount of feminism in Japan, at least when women starting to to be more independent, and Miyazaki kind of like that being an inspiration for him, I think, in, in making the movie. Um, what are we talking? We're talking about the other. Asona is going to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if that was related. Oh yeah, Asona in general. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much there is to say about her, but she's. Great. I I will say like one thing I really like about Asona is she she, she doesn't like. <laughs> Uh, like take advantage of Kiki's eagerness 
Like, there's a moment where Kiki's like, oh, like, I'll do that delivery. Like, it's on my way anyway. And she's like, no, I'm still going to pay you. And she's like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, work is work. Which, again, like, I know Twitter has, like, shared a lot because it's still so relevant. But, yeah, just paying Kiki for the work she does and acknowledging that, like, any kind of work is worth, you know, paying for. Even if she could get her to do it for free, that kind of stuff. Or when, like, she, like, kind of understands that Kiki's, like, having, like, a kind of a tumultuous, like, experience with Tombow. And so when she finds out Kiki's sick, she's like, okay, take the day off. Like, it's really fine. Like, I I can manage without you. Also, that boy stopped by. Like, he wants to check on you later. And Kiki's like, no! She's all scandalized. And, like, Asuna, like, understands. She's like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him you're not seeing visitors. It's fine. Like, she, <laughs> yeah. she really looks out for her. And she supports her. Even though she's, like, living in her place and is technically her employee. And I feel like that's part of what's really nice about the relationship. Like, she... She's a mom, but she's also, like, kind of a really great boss at the same time. And I feel like that's a really good balance with her as a character. Well, I think it, it, it helps, like, with Kiki's development, too, is because she's like, hey, like, don't sell yourself short. Like, you are worth something. Yeah. So that's why, like, you know, like, I'm going to pay you for this delivery no matter what or like, even just, like, the, if you don't mind working, then still teaching her, like, your work is worth something. Like, working in the bakery is worth, like, a roof over your head kind of situation. So, mm-hmm. I think it's just a lot of, like, small lessons like that that can be taken away from Asono's character. Yeah, and and I, I like the points of um, how supportive she is of Kiki and, and that playing into kind of the supportive collective we talked about. And I think in, this movie kind of is inherently capitalist in terms of it's about Kiki starting her own business. But it's totally. also, it's like it's a oh, much yeah. uh, it's a much more I think em- kind empathetic capitalism that Miyazaki envisions than one that we often see in our daily lives. I think of people helping each other out, out a lot more, um, and yeah. we see that with yeah. Osono's action towards actions towards Kiki. Because it's also, like, it's very opposite, like, I'd say, like, the the current maybe, like, hashtag millennial mindset right now where it, it really pushes the message of, like, value your worth to, like, get what you deserve versus, like, putting in whatever it takes to have anything. Yeah. And, and that's, like, pretty important, too. Like, I do think, like, yeah, like, it is capitalist, but it's, like, self-respect and not just, like, doing whatever you can for the larger economy, but like looking out for yourself and making sure you're getting what's due to you too. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just taking care of like yourself, like, and not going above your means because there's like, like Kiki, she has her own business. I mean, for, for the most part, she's, you know, staying someplace rent free. And then, you know, we still have these moments of with her where she says, you know, like, oh, I'm like, I can only afford to eat pancakes. Or Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I would really love that really like pretty pair of shoes, but I don't need those. And I can't afford them. So and then just like moving on with it. So yeah, those shoes may be a Wizard of Oz reference, by the way. Um, Those shoes were ridiculous. I don't understand what she saw in them, but like it was the 80s. Maybe it made more sense (laughs) 40 years ago. Those giant clown <laughs> shoes. Just... And I, I love the uh, the emphasis. They're a giant. I don't know if they're... But, uh, they look maybe. big. Yeah, they're big shoes. They could find it in her size. It wasn't literally those models. Model I don't know. One. Those look like They were gaudy. Yeah. Okay, maybe, <laughs> like, it just, yeah maybe it was maybe just like them. Gems um, on them or sequins. They were all <laughs> done up. 
hopefully she gets them after the show after the movie ends the um the i, I love the pan- how many pancakes there are in the like you guys mentioned so much so, pancakes it's all she knows how to cook which again like when i was seeing like this you movie pick really- one thing to cook I think it's yeah, a good pancake. thing. It's a really good starter meal when you don't know how to cook <laughs> anything. But also just like seeing Kiki like use the money she had to purchase things at a store. Like that's such a normal thing. But it, it was just like, like so nice to see like, yeah, I can use my money to buy things I want when I'm alone and don't have parents to buy food for me anymore. Like that's the kind of like independent stuff that seems like very trivial, but it actually feels like a big deal. Like I love seeing Kiki in the grocery store being like, Okay, I'm gonna get this frying pan. I'm like, oh yeah, we gotta get that cat cup. And she's like, just like, she's like lifting the pan. Like, is this a good one? Yeah, is like- it a good pan? It's gonna last me because I got a budget. Like that kind of decision making, I feel like we don't see as much of um, with young girls, especially. So it's like so, like yes, Kiki, you can only make pancakes, but you're taking this living on your own very seriously. Yeah. Yeah, part of Kiki's journey of independence so that, that can tie into our next topic. But quickly to close out the other female characters, we talked about uh, Madame and Bertha. Um, Bertha! It, I love that her name's Bertha. I had no I idea. No one too. has that name. It was great. I think, she, 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 I think she says it once in the movie, Bertha. She, she, but, um, Bertha with the broom. The shot of her with the broom. It's, like it's she's so milk so cute. <laughs> she's going to be waiting on Madame, but she got so excited about the broom. She had to test it yeah. out in the hallway, and they like mm-hmm. have to call her. Bag. And, and then it's like she's she's trying to watch TV and and then turn yeah. it down. And she's so excited. Yeah, <laughs> and she's like excited while this like kind of scary things going on. But she's, yeah. all <laughs> she's like, yeah, what a good show! It's just getting good now. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's a really it's a really God. scandalous <laughs> attitude for a movie that she has. <laughs> I love Bertha. She's here for the drama. Like, it's, yeah, it's she's so here for the drama. <laughs> Aren't we all sometimes? We all got a little Bertha in us. <laughs> Mad- Madame's great too. She's so kind to. Kiki too, in terms of supporting her and and what yes. we've been talking about, and her like pie, and then she she's just rejected by the granddaughter wholeheartedly. That's so thing. One thing I think when when April was talking earlier about how all the characters give Kiki something, which like I think is honestly like brilliant analysis. I didn't realize that watching it, but I think I certainly will now. I think the thing Madam gives Kiki is like a sense of like capability confidence because when she's like oh like i know how to use this old oven like let me gather the firewood or like let me like screw in your light bulbs like i'm very capable of doing all these tasks around the house and like madam really appreciates that and it's kind of like an awe of kiki's ability probably because like a lot of young girls she knows don't do those things in their town because they don't have to because they're at a slightly higher economic bracket and they're still living with their parents. But like, it's very nice to see Kiki taking charge and like kind of being rewarded for that too. Like that's a kind of self-confidence that I think is really nice. Well, and also Kiki comes at it with like a positive attitude yeah, as well. She's, she's like, let me do things around the house for you versus like, oh, I have to do things around the house. Like just, just that in and of itself, like who wouldn't appreciate that? Like, uh- yeah, I think all of her their scenes are with those two, I think, are, are really good. Um, and of note, a last uh, kind of part of Kiki's network of women is that there's not not a major character, but there's this fashion designer, like, neighbor. Fancy that, lady. Uh, her first fancy, fancy lady. lady. It's kind of, it's like her first lady. client, I think. Yeah, she pops up a few times, too. Um, yeah, uh, you guys, we were talking about, like, uh, Kiki coming to the city and her journey here. And 
I think like uh, we mentioned in a previous quote, but definitely like a coming of age movie. Uh, this movie for sure, yeah. Um, big big aspect of it, and a big aspect of Kiki. Um, kind of like uh, navigating her new independence um, in the world. Um, and uh, I think this ties into a lot of aspects of the movie. We a lot of which we've mentioned already. Um, but. Uh, I, let's I want to bring in this quote. It hits on a few things and it leads into talking about one thing with the ending and we could get into that now or later if we want to. But here's another Susan Napier quote. She says, Kiki can be seen as relating to the fear of transition. On one hand, this fear is a form of mourning for the loss of childhood from the point of view of a parent watching as their child grow up or perhaps a nostalgia from their own childhoods felt by the, felt by young women office workers watching the movie. This complex undercurrent of adult nostalgia for the early stirrings of independence and sad awareness of what independence brings adds mm. to the movie's emotional force. Mm-hmm. Intriguingly, while Kiki does recover her flying ability, she does not regain her ability to talk to Gigi. Flying above her new urban home, Kiki at the movie's end is stronger yet more limited than when she arrived. A bittersweet vision of what maturation can entail. So, uh, loss of independence, I think, is another, uh, is not loss of, uh, uh, you know, lo- of, uh, losing something kind of when you're, it's a, mo- it's a theme I think that a lot of, uh, of movies hit on, of you lose something kind of when you grow up. And I think it's, it, it fits in line with, uh, even last movie we saw that, um, the 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 granny uh in in Totoro says that uh the, the, she can't see the suit sprites anymore but she could when she was a kid you kind of have like these abilities you have when you're really young that you maybe lose when you're older and in this movie uh Gigi only meows at the end um that is in the original Japanese version mm-hmm. which was changed in the dub and uh was now changed back so if you're watching Wait, on HBO what? Max the dub yeah they changed it so let me, so the Disney re-released this movie in 2010. I've learned this now. Um, and they originally they had made Gigi talk at the end, which is not what happens in the, in the, in the original. Um, but now he, he goes back to meowing. Um, and they also, uh, changed the songs back to the original Japanese songs in the beginning and end of the movie. And they took out a lot of extra Gigi dialogue because they inserted a lot of that um, into the movie. So they made it much more true to the original movie. Um, And that's the version that's on HBO Max right now. So uh, if I think a lot of people, there may be some people watching that like watched it growing up with Gigi talks at the end. It's like, what are you talking about? The movie ends with Gigi not talking. Well, that was a change to the, to the original movie, but in, in the original and now the dub matches, um, you know, she kind of loses her, her ability to hear her cat talking. Um, so I think that that's kind of an interesting theme that fits with, uh, her coming of age and what she's going through and she's like gaining a lot, but maybe losing some aspects of youth. Um, it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. 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 Well, it kind of like ties into like the, um, how Gigi, you know, complains, I guess that, uh, like crows used to serve witches Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting that like i mean you can kind of come at it with like a sort of like an environmentalist standpoint where like kiki maybe she's not losing that like connection to nature but maybe she's respecting it because after all Gigi is a cat so and he just wants to go do cat things with that other cat so wants to go do cat things that's right (laughs) i don't know what that means but uh (laughs) jesus Climb, climbing on other windowsills yeah. and e- eating pancakes, I guess, and stuff. Uh, yeah, and meowing, uh, meowing. 
Um, it, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's another, I, I think the, the, this ending is maybe more a traditional ending to this movie. We can talk about Miyazaki's kind of weird, uh, non-traditional endings throughout and like, uh, Kiki goes and, and saves the day in kind of an action scene, although, you know, subversive in its own right, because she's saving the boy, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the opposite of the traditional roles in that type of scene. But I think we get maybe the most controversial thing in Gigi not talking at the end. Um, something that has struck many people. I was watching the Miyazaki documentary, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, and the... What the, a title. The, I, it, uh, probably, yeah. I would say, I would say out of the ones I've seen, this would be the one to watch if you only want to watch, like, one movie. Like, I'd recommend this one. Um, and the the director, she she asked Miyazaki at one point, like, why doesn't Gigi talk at the end? And he's just like, you know, what, what's there to say at the end of the movie? There's what's nothing, there nothing to, to say? say? So... <laughs> That's Miyazaki's later. That's and that's later in life, many years after this uh, this movie. But that's also an answer he's given. Um, but uh, I, I think the primary answer would be kind of like uh, loss of innocence. Uh, I think that's what I meant before. Lo- this loss of theme of loss of innocence that uh, that uh, Kiki uh, maybe. And I think it's not a huge more, theme of the movie, but it kind of ties into of change. Except, okay, yeah, that's a more I positive feel like way. Cool, because you could also go at that just from like a. A, a needing to work mentality, right? Because, like, that's one of the things that keeps her from doing. Like, the reason she didn't go to the party with Tombo is because she had to work before and it took so long and she only owned one pair of clothes that got soaked. And so she, like, gave up on it because she, it was late and she had a job to do before that ran long and then she didn't have anything else to wear. So I feel like, like the fact that she's like a working kid is a big part of that too. Cause it, like when she goes to the party, like, and she sees that girl her age, who's like at a birthday party, like a normal third, like quote unquote, normal 13 year old. And Kiki's like very much not like in that life place right now anymore. I feel like that's like, she's kind of forced to grow up a little more just because that's part of what necessitates being that independent. So young. Yeah. I think, uh, this loss of innocence can tie into another theme, which I I didn't put an outline to talk about in depth, but it's definitely a Miyazaki type theme that's kind of present in this movie, which is kind of hedonism versus hardworkingness that kind of in terms of Kiki and uh, Kiki's kind of this hard worker and she has these experiences. I did want to get into this, these experiences with other, her peers throughout. They're often, Mm -hmm. they're not working. They're going to parties. Um, So, you know, and I think Miyazaki is uh, anti this kind of hedonistic attitude uh, and pro kind of this hardworkingness that that Kiki entails. That's very representative of himself. Um, but I think it's one of the more interesting scenes of the movie to me is is when after he uh, she's with Tombo on the propeller bike and they're at they're uh, in like the yeah, valley and Tombo's yeah. friends he, come up and she's she's just know. like she's like not having it like they're like oh come on with Kiki with us to the Go, go on to the the whatever zeppelin whatever it was uh dirigible she, she, zeppelin, dirigible yeah. dirigible yeah, yeah. is it the it's same, same thing, thing. And, it's the same and, thing and, okay yeah. it's the same thing and she's uh yeah she she's uh very down in that moment i find that really interesting that scene well it also like because one of, one of the like, girls recognizes her she's like she's the girl who delivered at my party the other night which immediately mm. places her as like a, a working girl mm. which is yeah. very different and it kind of others her from their group yeah, it, I was gonna say the exact same thing. Yeah, that she she like she gets called out, and mm-hmm. it's kind of I guess like 
ruins the moment for her because it was nice that she was just kind of getting to relax and not do anything with Tombo. And then all of a sudden, like this reminder of the fact that, you know, she is, you know, she's independent and she does have to work and, you know, yeah. she can't just go on dirigibles or go, <laughs> yeah, she can just go on dirigibles whenever she wants. <laughs> or yeah. like, or just go to parties for that matter too. And so it's like this reminder that she, she, she's not the same as them like yeah and yeah, i think I, the I, class the class issue is there as well oh absolutely mm-hmm. yeah but that's I, something I, like i want to say like i i can kind of see where Mizaki's coming from and the like yeah it's good to be hard working and to be like self-sustainable like like objectively yes but i, I do think we should consider kiki had the choice to like you know like, this was a tradition she decided when she was gonna leave like, this was her idea, and she wanted to follow through on it. But, like, for a lot of people who are poor, especially, like, non-white people, like, it's not a choice. And if you're working that young, you you do lose a lot of that same childhood freedom, but it's not something you actively decided to do for yourself. It was just kind of thrust upon you. So I feel like while we're talking about this, we should yeah. probably consider, like, choice is a big deal when it comes to that. Because, like, yeah, if you choose to have, like, a very like autonomous independent life because like that's what you personally want that's one thing but if you kind of have to that's like something else you know yeah well and i think i think there's also sort of a reminder too because we you know kiki's obviously at the beginning of the movie she's really excited to go live on her own leave her family um and everything like that but then like reality sort of set in and it it's like it's not as glamorous she probably thought it was going to be like maybe she did imagine herself going to parties and things like that but that's she doesn't get to do that yeah uh it's it's and to the scene i think what's really striking is and as you mentioned it's a good point michelle brought up and i'm I'm gonna like cite miyazaki's perspective a lot on the series but it's definitely not something i'm necessarily uh espousing and 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 supporting but uh, i just kind of trying to give context to to the movie but i think you know me and miyazaki very like you should work as hard as you can and not have any fun like i don't agree (laughs) with that you know like it's just kind (laughs) of of Mizaki is kind of a workaholic. It, yeah. it does make me think of that other moment where Kiki's just like bored out of her mind behind the counter and she sees that boy pull up on his bike and the girl get out in the dress and they like go on a date. It's kind of like, like yeah, like girls your age are going on dates in their free time, but you have to work even though it's very boring right now. And I, I think like he has this very kind of like anti anti hedonistic attitude, but I think it's a little restrained in this movie because it, it's kind of like showing that Kiki's following this lifestyle, and it kind of is showing pros and cons of of the fact that she has to work all the time. Oh yeah, and that she's choosing to. And I also think like she, Kiki is allowed to have fun. I think throughout the movie and stuff. Um, and and it like and, and he approaches it more of like Kiki's psychological uh like aspect towards like the the choice of of going because to getting back to the scene with um tombo's friends offering to go to the dirigible with her um you know like she totally could have gone like that was a moment she was completely free to go like in terms of the party like she was working and she missed it and then like she she still could have gotten changed and went with tombo even after she got back but it's just it's it's that she was so discouraged i guess by her situation and her not relating to her peers um and uh that's definitely one of the most fast fascinating aspects of kind of kiki's character and uh in general the movie to me um and i think that leads to a lot of the negative feelings that we're talking about that she's allowed to to display is her just like kind of not feeling in tune 
with those around her or feeling othered, I think, to a large extent. I think actually, I, would, I think you could argue Kiki feeling othered is a huge theme of this movie because she's instantly othered by being a witch by, yeah, a, by everyone around totally. her. totally. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she, like, further emphasizes that, but then tries to sort of rein it back in at the same time. Because, like, in the beginning, she's very happy and proud of to be a witch. And she, as you know, she's sort of, like, starting about. But then as life kind of comes at you fast and the fact that the city probably has never had a witch or hasn't had a witch for a very very long time Mm -hmm. um and it's so modern that like instantly like i would feel like like a country bumpkin if i was yeah (laughs) you know what i mean because she's never lived in the city before tomo kind of says that like when she tells him like it's very impolite to like not like I forget exactly like, April you probably remember but like when he first meets her and she like says something kind of snippy like that was oh, very yeah. rude and he makes fun of her like in a, in a teasy way he's like wow you sound like my grandmother like you're so proper like that's a very country bumpkin kind of attitude Kiki has that now suddenly feels out of place being in a big city yeah yeah, I think by the very nature of the premise of the movie, Kiki is uh, othered by the fact that it's like you—you you go find your town. There's one witch per town. When yes, you're 13, one witch you go, per town. Yeah, you, go fi- you go, you go find a town to be the one witch's town. Uh, yeah. And I think Miyazaki, like that, is a premise from the book. I think, and Miyazaki kind of takes that and like explores it. I feel like to a large extent, and how that affects Kiki. Like um, throwing her in a city. Like it sounds like like no offense against her mom because I'm sure her mom had like her own trials and tribulations but like because her mom did it too but like her mom chose to go to like a small well smaller like populated area versus like kiki who's going to this massive city and like even like like i just remember like growing up because i grew up in the city but then like we would go or and then like i went to college in a smaller town and i just remember like culture shock just going from like one environment to another. So I like I can't imagine the culture shock that Kiki's going through like as she goes to the city as well. Like you might feel she probably feels like super traditional and like I don't know. It would just be hard. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And and we can bring in the setting of the movie uh, as as it's kind of a related topic to this the, the city of Koriko you're right like Kiki Kiki goes after it and she's like she wants to be in like a bigger city and yeah. even though maybe it's harder um and and I think she, maybe it's because she wants that the opposite of what she's what experienced she growing up yeah, yeah. it's kind of like uh, a traditional versus like contemporary thing because like traditionally mm-hmm. witches leave like so she's like honoring those aspects she's wearing the black dress but like they may not traditionally like make a career out of flying on brooms because her mom was a like a potions master person, it seemed. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like yeah, potions that, master. Part yeah. of the mythology, you witches are supposed to have one like a specialty power, develop it. And yeah. Kiki's like, I don't really have one. I'm just I gonna just like flying. Fly. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so even in that sense, like she's already sort of straying away from like the I guess like the traditional the the values of being a witch and like i think the other thing too is that like her she's displaying like typical like regards for a girl her age mm-hmm. as we know it so like her wanting to have a boyfriend like i mean maybe her mom wanted that whenever she left but i don't think that was like the first thing on her mind and so just like having you know a different set of like ideals and values 
Yeah, I think the boyfriend thing. I feel like Kiki, like, conceptually is espousing that, but uh, I don't think she really shows interest towards uh, towards boys throughout them. Even Tombo. I feel like she's I not really she, interested in Tombo. She likes the idea of it because it's part of the, the appeal of, of being yeah. older. It's like you're old enough to go on dates and parties and have a boyfriend. It's like the aesthetic of, like, what that kind of lifestyle <laughs> yeah, yeah. means more than yeah. a specific boy. Yeah, she wants the boyfriend aesthetic, but not the boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wants to be the kind of girl who would have a boyfriend. She wants the wedding, not the marriage. <laughs> Oh my god! Yes. She probably would though. That was... <laughs> <laughs> which so, Kiki oh want a traditional witch wedding or a more city, probably more uh, or modern city wedding? Probably. You want the wedding at Ursula's cabin, just to out Ursula. in. The... Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, that... I feel like Ursula's too old for her. Yeah, later in life. Later in life, it's like a few years. <laughs> There's, I mean, they're supposed to. They're built as mirrors of each other. I don't know if that's the way to ship, but uh, they're they, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be specifically like older Kiki. Um, but this city, a city of Kodiko, and, and for the record, only really mentioned once or twice. So not, it's not. Yeah. If you didn't know, that's the name. Not, not important. Um, but uh, we're back to Europe here after a brief res- respite in Japan from like, Miyazaki's last movie. Um, but Miyazaki's European fascination is on full display in this movie. A very oh European-inspired city. Specifically, I believe, would be inspired by Sweden. Uh, where Sweden! Miyazaki, oh, Miyazaki did some location scouting for this movie in a few Swedish cities. Um, but yeah, if, if you're if you're following along, uh, we're going to have like a majority of Miyazaki movies at this point taking place in Europe. That'll continue <laughs> next movie, too. <laughs> Um, so I think the, the setting, but a, maybe a more, uh, it, it, there's no specific time period, I think, for this movie, but it definitely comes across as like older. Um, yeah, it's weird. When I was watching it last, I was a little confused because like Kiki has a portable radio, which feels like something from the 80s, but yeah. the cars look like they're like chonky metal cars from like the 60s. And so, like, I really, it's a little confusing. Like, maybe it's, like, the late 70s. I don't know. But the the portable radio really feels like something that's super modern. And the black and white TV, but that was at grandma's house. Maybe she just owns an old TV. It's a little hard to place it. Well, even like, what is it? They have dirigibles. So, like, yeah, like, Tombo's making a propeller bike. Like, who does he think he is? The white, the Wright brothers. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think that there's like a specific time period you have to know that the movie said, and it doesn't try to give you one, but I think it's more of like more of a traditional feel, a traditional city feeling. Yeah. But yeah. still well, modern. It's, it's still like, modern enough that Kiki, you can understand Kiki's yearning for the modern city. Maybe that's what it is. Well, and I think that like, even though we can't pinpoint what time it is, I think like everyone feels the same. You like, you're like, okay, we're going from the country to the city. Like, it doesn't really matter what time in the world it is. Yeah. I, I It's it's a universal, more a universal type of experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, Koiko itself, I think it's a, it's a gorgeous city. Um, it's definitely, it's 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 just striking, like, how much of a different, um, I think, setting it is in terms of, I would normally reference kind of the gorgeous nature visuals, backgrounds that we get throughout the movie, and you the, the, you get the equi- city equivalent of that here, so yeah, I think it's less. you got yes. cobblestones and, and thatched cottage roofs and, like, all these cute little s- shops smushed together on narrow, winding street paths, uh, like, against 
the the ocean is so pretty it's so like it's so ideal like what a cute town i'd want to live there it's so adorable and it feels really old like in a nice way in a like super charming like brick and mortar sort of way yeah um yeah i think i think a lot of people are really enchanted i think with koriko and the the setting of this movie um and uh probably one of miyazaki's more uh note memorable european settings but i think we'll we can see compare it i think to some other ones as we go along um and i, I was thinking of kiki flying i think when talking about the setting just because we get some of our more um traditional maybe background shots when she's she's flying um just a lot of like amazing animation i think of her her flying mm-hmm. throughout the movie yeah um yeah. it's like it's- weirdly realistic the way she just like in terms of how often you see her like shift her balance or like mm-hmm. clutch onto her broom or like swerve in the air as if there's like a breeze or something or like trying to steady her balance so she flies straight. Like I can't yeah. imagine the attention to detail for something that doesn't actually exist. Like how do you show someone flying realistically when no one actually flies? I feel like they they accomplish that surprisingly well because it does leave you kind of feeling like, damn, I like I wish I had a broomstick. I want to do this. This looks so fun because it just looks so believable. Yeah. Yeah, I lo- love how flying is portrayed. Definitely like uh, plays into Miyazaki's uh, planes uh, a- a tr- a fascination and trope throughout 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 his movies. And there's definitely planes that stuff specifically to the original, but we see that different aspect of like a witch flying, and we see like Miyazaki's uh, it can apply it can apply to uh, magical flying too. I guess mm-hmm. uh, all the the different aspects of flying. I want to read this uh, quote on like the background of. Kiki's ability to fly kind of related is just, I think, the the best quote um, that I want to make sure we get in here. So Susan Napier says, Miyazaki later adds an intriguing scene in which Kiki explains to her new friend, the artist Ursula, that her the ability to fly is in her blood. In the English version of the movie, blood is translated as spirit, but the rawness of the word blood, chi, in Japanese, evokes the primordial essence of her power and her consanguous connection with her mother. Miyazaki apparently pondered the question of Kiki's flying at great length, trying to decide between the broom as an autonomously flying object and having the power spring entirely from Kiki. In the original novel, it is Tambo who tells Kiki that flying is in her blood, Tambo, who is fascinated by aviation and machinery, envies her ability to fly naturally. By transferring the revelation to Ursula, who relates Kiki's flying power to her own ability to draw, Miyazaki Mm. emphasizes the importance of the organic in relation to art and talent, and also keeps these powers within a female context. Um, I think context for our discussion of that scene with with, uh, discussing the artist block with Ursula towards the end of the movie. Um, but yeah, the, the mythology of the movie, I think is, is interesting. There's not a lot to say about a lot of these things. It's kind of a basic witch mythology. Um, but, uh, you know, Mizaki is, is, is trying to explore that into the depth that, uh, is satisfying to him in terms of the nature nature of flying. Uh, so I I like how that's a throughout aspect throughout the movie. Um, I'm going to get back to Gigi, I feel like, is we haven't talked enough about Gigi. We talked about Gigi in the ending. I have to ask Michelle, how is Gigi as a cat? 
He's a great cat. He's he is so opinionated and he does not hold back and he's snarky and he says what's on his mind, which like any good cat will give you that vibe, I feel. Like there are all kinds of catitudes, but his is a very like tried and true catitude, just being like, I'm gonna say this thing even though it's kinda rude. And then Kiki's gonna have to go, Chi-Chi, like that's not polite. And he just will have no qualms about it. I love him. He he brings up a lot of good points about things like when someone's rude, he'll just say so or like, oh, yeah, your broom's nice, Kiki, but let's take your mom's because it looks way safer. I'm just going to say it <laughs> like he has so many moments like that. I also like Gigi picked the most amazing cat girlfriend in the world. <laughs> what a beautiful lady. It's the fanciest, floopiest cat twice his size does not care. I just, yes, yes, Gigi, you have good taste. I just said you can't talk to Kiki anymore. But Gigi's awesome. Like, the fact that, you know, he never falls off that broom. And Kiki's, like, kind of a, a energetic flyer. And that <laughs> says something, too. Like, he he's figured out how to, like, coexist in Kiki's world for the long haul. And I think that's pretty awesome. Because they are, like, each other's closest friends, for this whole movie, like they're always by each other's side. They're never really apart, except for when he meets his girlfriend. And I guess like that's part of Kiki's just, you know, losing her childhood mm. thing too, because like then she starts to rely on Tombo more and explore things on her own without like kind of her security blanket cat by her side. But like for the majority of the movie, he is like her one confidant. And I feel like that's kind of adorable to see because he is a cat. He is a cat, yeah. He is a cat. Uh, I, I want to get. I think it's definitely worth talking about a little bit the difference between Gigi and the sub and the dub. One of the biggest differences um, in English, probably a lot of people have experienced Gigi being voiced by Phil the deep Hartman. Man, yes, the deep yeah. man voice in one of uh, his his last roles and i think he's he's really funny as as Gigi mm-hmm. but it's it's a very different interpretation of this character than the original japanese Gigi's voiced by a woman as uh, cats apparently traditionally are in Japan, voiced by women. Um, <laughs> I still... love that there's the history of like cats being voiced by women in Japan that you can <laughs> I mean, I, easily. <laughs> I would I would say we have the opposite tradition. I think ma- we default to male voices for animals typically. Oh yeah, um, that's true. I mean, I, I do think like Gigi's um, sub voice uh, gives me Luna vibes for sure from Sailor Moon. Yeah. A very similar kind of like cat companion who espouses wisdom to the younger human silly teenage girl well i think that the like having Gigi voiced by a woman in the japanese version just sort of helps emphasize that's like that like subtle like or i guess it's not subtle but like the fact that kiki's surrounded by like and relies upon so many women and has that network so, yeah. yeah, she's naturally drawn to female characters like her cats and fe- has a female voice Her, you know, her mom's yeah, a wig. I mean, it feels it feels significant, even though I guess Gigi still would be a male cat within the Japanese version. But it's, we it don't feels, know how Gigi identifies. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if the movie explicitly says it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think just the, the, the point uh, major point of the difference would be Phil Hartman plays this character much more sarcastic and biting. Whereas if you watch the, if you haven't seen the original version, I would say Gigi is more cautious and uh, yeah, he's well, not, he's not like it, it, more yeah. practical, it come yeah. off more cautious and practical mm-hmm. versus like 
I guess, a bitter caution. <laughs> and and, and I think admittedly it's caution, snarky. Yeah, yeah, he's more snarky. Fullerman's I, I very funny as Gigi. I think the character is funnier in English probably, but it's not the same vibe, I think, is what they're yeah. going for. To a it sets a different and, tone, kind of. Yeah, and, and what the they did add in 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 terms of the changes, they they added I think a lot of like incidental GG jokes uh, to the movie. They took those out in the re release of the of the movie, um, the dub. So I, that 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 probably helps a little bit, but I don't know. I think I think it's like valuable on its own. It's definitely meaningful. I think it's like we're talking about. We watch this as kids. I think we watch the version with yeah. with Phil Hartman having a lot of quips in there. Um, and I I definitely have a lot of positive memories of that. Um, I also like. I think. We've moved away from that this style of dubbing to uh, trying to be more uh, respectful of the traditional intent of the movie, which is, I would say, a good thing from our perspective. Um, Haven't yes. people like said that they disagree? Like, didn't Miyazaki even say he disagreed with that? Just because like the point was to with a lot of like translations and dub lines to make it feel more localized to the the country that you're living in so that it just like it makes more sense to you like i don't necessarily agree with that but i do think like he did say that at some point that he prefers the dubs for that reason yes yes exactly yeah. that's that's his stance he'd prefer dubs um I, so he might be in favor of this kind of like we perceive cats uh, an animal sidekicks maybe as more funny characters maybe as more male characters so like maybe this makes sense culturally for us to have this, this specific voice for Gigi I think he'd probably not be in favor of the dish, additional dialogue so I think we probably arrive yeah. at that. We probably arrive, and it's not a huge deal. There's other more egregious dub changes. I think we'll get into. Konyo, cough, cough, Konyo. I'll need to refresh on my Konyo knowledge when we get to that one. Oh man, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> they, they did. I know they redid the songs in Konyo, and then in in this movie, when they re-release it, they go back to the original songs. So, um, I they hope we we are going more with that trend. Um. Spe- speaking of the songs, talking about the soundtrack, uh, back to Joe Hisaishi, uh, soundtrack for the Miyazaki movie. And I think this one is, is really good. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Classic. I, 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 not cl- classic soundtrack. I think notable ones are, um, there's a lot of recurring themes again. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint what the exact, uh, track to listen to is but if you the first one on a clear day i think recurs a lot throughout and it's kind of maybe the main type of theme for the movie maybe kiki's theme um it's also in flying delivery service um and then a town with an ocean view for the koriko kind of theme i really love that one too um and then I, the, my favorite though is the opening song in japanese it's more it's and the movie uses it so well i guess i love the opening scene of her going off flying and she the mm-hmm. song plays until she mm-hmm. meets the the snooty witch um, which I have to say, <laughs> I feel like she's not that snooty in Japanese. I feel like she's uh, <laughs> she just comes off as cool, like she's yeah. already she's just cool. She knows her yeah, place she's in more cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. the dub makes her snootier, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's to fit in with our culture. Yeah, I know. We're, we're snooty. We're, we're like all about snooty- the snooty characters. <laughs> yeah. The snooty witch, witch, even though she's on screen for like a minute, is very one of one of the more memorable characters for a lot of people. I feel like. Uh, she has those she amazing has like earrings and her hair is so cool and she has like a nice purple dress and she's perched so perfectly on her broom while Kiki's like going up and down just trying to so keep poised. in the air basically yeah she's so poised like yeah, I, it poised makes sense that Kiki like 
she she meets someone that she's trying to like under silly oh well how is this gonna go for me like i just started out you seem pretty settled like should i be worried (laughs) (laughs) she's basically just looking for advice from like a peer who's doing the same thing she's doing yeah yeah Love that scene. And the, the song that plays when she takes off into that point is Rogano Dengen. Um, love the opening song of, uh, uh, of this movie. And, uh, there's, you know, I think a lot of people like the, the English replacement too that was in pre, for, in the dub originally. Um, and the ending, the ending song's really good too. Um, any, any specific, uh, soundtracks, thoughts, uh, or when you most notice the music in this movie? Um, I like, well, I think what for me, what I really enjoy in a soundtrack is whenever it enhances what's going on mm-hmm. versus like take taking away from it. So I think that the soundtrack for this movie very much like puts you in the mood of what's going on, but you're not like, whoa, listen to that music. Like, yeah, this song's jamming. Like only one that's like appropriate. Do you... Yeah, we've we've been talking about Joey Sai. She's a minimalist composer, so yeah. you you're more yeah. less likely to notice his 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 tracks as you're watching. Yeah, but like I can't imagine this movie like without music. So because <laughs> I think it yeah. also like it fits in with like Kiki's personality. Like she's very attached to the radio, obviously. So like music's important to her or ha- ha- plays some kind of significance in her life. So. Yeah. Um, other other tracks I have highlighted. If you want to listen to the, 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 I'm looking at the Spotify one. A very busy Kiki, Osano's mm-hmm. request to Ursula's cabin, and an, an unusual painting. Yeah, like the music plays over when the the Ursula painting gets revealed. It's, it's oh very, yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm looking over the scenes I've highlighted from the movie to talk about. We talked about, I feel like all of them. Um, but I, I want to note the, when Gigi has to stand in for the, the, the stuffed cat. Oh Aww. my God. The old dog is the, the real old MVP. dog. Yeah. So Je- oh my God. Michelle, what do we think about Jeff? The dog. Jeff, Jeff the is dog great. Is treasure. <laughs> He's a good boy. He's the best boy. I feel like he very much exudes that energy where like in his heydays, a young pup, Maybe he would have tried to chomp on Gigi a little, but like he's so old and chill now. All he wants to do is be a really good dog. And he he like specifically once he figured out that Gigi was a real cat, just kept him very, very close the whole time to protect mm-hmm. him from all the family members until the moment of escape happened for real. And I he, this line isn't in the sub, but in the dub, when Kiki is reunited with Gigi, Gigi's like, oh, give it to Jeff. Like he's he'll do it, Kiki. He's a good dog. And just uh-huh. like yeah, hearing too, a cat yeah. call him a good dog <laughs> is so funny. I loved it. I, I, I yeah, Phil Hartman like saying that is like clear in my mind once you <laughs> yeah. said that. Like yeah, I was, I, it was running through my brain as well. I was like, <laughs> yes. It's it's there's so many iconic Gigi lines. Like it's hard to be mad at the the dub for changing it a lot. Like I feel like it, it is a lot uh, very impactful. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Jeff the dog. Any any more Tombo thoughts? I don't really have a lot of Tombo oh. thoughts. I think it's cool that Tombo's the love interest who's a nerdy boy. Like, I feel like it's a very Miyazaki yeah, thing to cool. do, but yeah. it's like, usually they're really cool boys, but he's like a nerd for flying stuff and has big old glasses, but somehow <laughs> is still in with the popular kids and they're all just really obsessed with flying and that's his niche. I love 
I love. I just love that he's a nerd. I think it's great. More nerd, like love interest representation for boys. Well, he's, he's also awkward. Like he's human yeah, too. Like, he's know. not. He's not like the cool, sleek, like has a oh, line no. for everything. He's like stumbles all over himself. Like I remember, thirteen year old April was like, you know, he's not bad. Like I mean. <laughs> <laughs> He's clumsy. <laughs> but yeah, like, th- he's realistic again. So, like, I could see this human being in real life versus, like, just in a made-up fantasy movie. I think he's realistic, yeah. I, I think it's uh, questionable whether you guys are very pretty quick to call him the love interest. Not not a lot of romance going on. He so, is uh, so into Kiki. Like, that's yeah. amazing. He is. He's into Kiki. He is yeah, he's he wrote a little invitation that said I think, he, I think he's more he fascinated got, he got with all dressed friendly. up all to take her to that party yeah. and he waited so long Dylan in I the would rain. not say there's yeah. a big love story here he does wait a long time I don't know that okay, but classic it's, Miyazaki it's a, there's it's no uh, love story but it's still a love story yeah, for him true. but also they're 13 like, yeah. like were they spy this, this is the extent yeah. Yeah, for like a week yeah exactly if you have my attention for more than a week like Doing good. Yeah. I can't believe that they break up right after the credits. In this Basically. Movie, you know? <laughs> uh, speaking of the credits, I love the credits having all these like post uh, re- the climax rescue scenes. Oh, um, yeah. And then it ends with the parents getting the letter from Kiki. It's such a sweet ending. Like she's doing okay. Like yeah. their girl's going off living her own life and she's figuring it out and they were right to trust her. To, yeah. to do this and it's so sweet also her dad looks like a, he has a big nerd energy so like maybe there's hope for Tombo yet <laughs> is that a I good or a bad thing though the dad good <laughs> good I love is her this dad a, who like, witches was... are attracted to is that, is that, mean, that how that works the Kiki we see at the beginning of the movie is so much more childlike than the one we end on. Like when she yeah. asked her dad to lift her up in the air, it's like such mm, a little, yeah. little key thing. But she's like reveling in that because she's going to be gone soon. It's like her last big chance. And you can like barely do it because she's so much bigger now. But it's like a really cute kid moment she has with him. And like her mom helping her get dressed in the dress mm-hmm. and she's like fidgeting in it. Like that's a really cute little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, starting to wrap up, I think most, I mean, I have other topics, but uh, nothing uh, necessarily needs to done. I want to read this quote about context of witches just for like, uh, re- for reference. Cause I think Which context? What is that? Context. Um, Susan Napier says, although Japanese folklore abounds with powerful supernatural females, witches are not part of its traditions. By the late 20th century, however, they'd become a staple of Japanese manga and anime. In fact, while still at Toei in the 1960s, Miyazaki had been involved in an early and extremely popular anime, anime series called Sally the Witch. Sally is now seen as the progenitrix of many of the witches and magical girls who still populate anime and manga series. So there you go. Sally the Witch, the original magical girl. Hang on. Aww. That's the original magical girl is a witch. That's so this. cool. I know. I love that's that. interesting. That's a witch. That yeah. explains so much why like the magical girl genre is, is so particularly like skewed female. Like if it came from witches, that makes a lot of sense as an origin. Yeah, I think it's that really does cool. make sense. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, we gotta watch Sally the Witch. I know. Sally the Witch. There's a lot of. Like we, we could do a fun show. 
It does. You could do a whole another podcast series on stuff Miyazaki worked on at Toei. And like he did, he Future wasn't Boy directing Conan. yet, but he worked on that. Future Boy, Future yeah. Boy Conan, but the most prominently, but um, a bunch of other of these uh, Takahata directed movies and even just a series like this too. Uh, Michelle, was there anything else you wanted that jumped out at you that we haven't talked about about Kiki? Um, it's very pretty. It's a gorgeous yeah. film to look at. I mean, they always are, but I feel like Kiki's design feels really iconic in a way that a lot of um, characters don't. I feel like Shihiro is also very iconic. Um, her outfit, but like Kiki, like it, it's very simple, but like her big bow and her dress and her broom, that's like, yeah. you see that, you know who it is. Even if, if you barely had any knowledge of Miyazaki movies, like Kiki's so iconic for whatever reason, she just really stands out. I, I think, yeah, I think that's a good yeah. call. Probably Miyazaki's most uh, iconic uh, outfit that yeah. protagonist wears. Besides like maybe so how <laughs> Like, yeah, it's so it is simple. really simple. Yeah. But I think I think that's also something that it says a lot about I guess like the the movie and Kiki as a person is that they don't need to be extremely dressed up for it to have a huge impact either. Cuz Michelle's right. If I saw a girl walking down the street with a big red belt, plain black dress, I'd be like, what's up, Kiki? And they'd be like, what's up, girl? But we would know. Like, <laughs> it's a good good Halloween costume. Yeah. It really is. It doesn't take much. Uh, I just had Kiki the cat move into my Animal Crossing village. I'm so excited. A she's real a black, cat? She's a black cat. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think presumably a reference to this movie, although she... Uh, would be GG, I guess, the literal. But oh, yeah, they got to do the cap. Kiki. That makes sense. I know, it's great. Yeah. Uh, April, any other topics we haven't talked about from Kiki? Oh, gosh. No. I feel like we covered everything. Yeah, we did a good a lot job. Of things. Good for yeah. us. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Well, like, because you know how, like, you sit down before a podcast and you're like, okay, what am I going to talk about? and so such a universal experience you sit down before you're about to record a podcast or like write a paper or whatever (laughs) and you're like what am I going to say how do I want to say it like what what's important to me and I feel like we you said all of it yeah we covered everything that was important to me like and I could not be happier I'm glad we talked about witches and magical girls because this is definitely like I would say this would be my introduction to magical girls and that yeah. whole experience because again i grew up with this movie and like i'm a little bit older than you guys so <laughs> pulling the senior card april <laughs> but, like like this was like one of the the movies that got me into anime so because i was just like i love like me and my friend tommy we were sit there and we'd be like we love this so much we need more of this in our lives and then we like <laughs> sought it out so and that's how you became a weeb and yeah. that's how i became a weeb. <laughs> Story. No. We can continue I'm, on now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so glad we had on uh, and all these things you want to talk about. But yeah, no, I think it's a good a good point to end on though. It's like Kiki, I do think is a very influential character and movie for a lot of people our age and a lot of people who are our age who are in the animation industry. 
Um, so I think uh, Kiki is kind of this proto, even though she's not the first magical girl like Sally is. I think she is this 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 early uh, first magical girl, first anime, first uh, maybe prominent female character, depending on what movies you're exposed to growing up. That I think a lot of people are watching. Um, so probably very influential on, I was gonna on say, a lot of people. Considering a lot of people our age grew up with like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, mm-hmm. all guys like. Power Rangers, cool. Two girls, like, but the rest are all guys, and the guys are the main characters. And, like, there's so many other shows where, like, there were so many, like, male leads, and the women were just kind of there. But, like, for this movie to come about where the main character is female, she's supported by, you know, all these amazing ladies, is it's so good. Like, I love it. It's That's honestly great, like yeah. it makes me wonder if Miyazaki poured a lot of himself into Kiki as a character. Like I'm sure he does. That. That, I, I, I definitely think his, so. Kiki but is, like yeah. especially just considering the whole like her, she she's going through like several things at once. There's like the culture shock. There's the the her having to work versus other kids her age thing going on. There's the her just being a teenager trying to figure out this new chapter of her life thing going on. But. I feel like her relationship to flying, like we've talked about being connected kind of to how Ursula views her art career, it feels like maybe a way of Miyazaki kind of tapping into just like his disillusionment maybe with his own like, you know, passion for the things he does creatively versus like the needs of being in a market where you have to make something that's financially viable to survive and the kind of disillusionment that comes with realizing that maybe for the first time and trying to find a balance between like, yeah, I love this thing. I might love it less because I have to work for it now. And just the amount of time the movie spends on her being burnt out about that, like really lets her kind of wallow for a while in the frustrations of trying to figure out how to love what she does again, even though now it feels harder to do. I feel like that comes from Miyazaki. Like, I don't think the book probably, like I'm guessing didn't really get into that a whole lot. I feel like he totally brought that up because it felt like something he personally related to. And somehow he like tied that to her flying journey, like as being a form of like creative expression, I guess. But I think that's really cool. I think she's better for it. Like being able to tap into that is more realistic. Uh, Michelle, did you read the Miyazaki World chapter? Like, you just literally <laughs> quoted it, basically. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you did that. Book, but it sounds like a really good book. No, you're right. Exactly right. Miyazaki's feeling burnt out right now. I mentioned in the beginning how right after this, he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, so right, making yeah. a movie a year. So it's exactly <laughs> his attitude. And he t- he totally channels that into Kiko. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. he's like letting uh, everyone else know, too. He's like, hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I think if we're we we're tracking like who's Miyazaki's mom in the movie, who's Miyazaki, I think the answer to this movie, the answer to both questions is Kiki herself. I think Kiki Ooh. is kind of uh yeah. all, so so much goes into this character. I think it's representative of himself, the most important person in his life, a lot, a lot of uh so I think I think it's reflective of the the characterization she ends up with. Um oh yeah, now I want to say April. I did you mention Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the girl is April in that show. Is that how that is that that oh is, is that true? Oh I, think I, true. I just mentioned that because so I was the only girl and I had two <laughs> brothers and I was forced to be like I didn't get a choice in like what I got to watch because I was always outnumbered. And so like I like I love yeah, I mean I enjoyed, you know, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and all of that when I was a kid. Like, don't get me wrong, but like I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
But I would always be bad because I wanted to be one of the turtles. And my brothers always told me that I had to be April. And I was like, no, I don't. And they're like, yes, you do. Because one, you're a girl. Two, your name's April. (laughs) Boom. Argument done. And I'd be like, I'm not playing with you guys anymore. The dark sides to the April name. They come out now. (laughs) The dark sides. (laughs) The dark sides. (laughs) I was also the only girl in the neighborhood I grew up in, too. Oh, April. Oh, man. No wonder Kiki was so important. Yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so many ladies in that universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it. So uh, I was very happy you got into all these reasons, Kiki. Uh, <laughs> so important to, to, to everyone. Um, and uh, next next up in our in our series, I'm surprised I didn't. I had their straight not to frequently reference it. But next we have Only Yesterday. Yeah. <gasps> uh, very similar movie to this movie, but by Isao oh, wow. Takahata. So uh, I think we'll be making. I think it's better to make all the comparisons between the two in the Only Yesterday versus the Kiki Pod. So we'll yeah. talk. Probably make a lot of comparisons in the Only Yesterday Pod to, to Kiki and um, just these very uh, solely focused female character movies on their journeys, like shockingly feminist, but back to back both of these movies. And so focusing a lot on realism, that. like realistic yeah. moments mm-hmm. that aren't always pretty, but that's what makes them feel like identifiable. That's true. That movie has yeah. a lot of negative mm-hmm. emotions being felt too. Okay. Well, excited to talk <laughs> about it. So we'll be, <laughs> we'll be here next week. Talk about only yesterday. Um, let's know you thought of our Kiki discussion, find all the ways to contact us at overlyanimated.com. And if you enjoyed this, consider supporting us at Patreon, patreon.com slash overly animated. Thanks to all our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Beatrice. And thanks as always yeah. to our patron executive producers, Ryan Steve Alex, Beatrice, Hugh Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Um, so yeah, if you're not subscribed to our Ghibli rewatch, uh, iTunes feed or wherever you're listening, Spotify, uh, so we have our specific Ghibli rewatch feed, subscribe to that to hear all of our upcoming um ghibli discussions we'll be back next week with only yesterday thanks for listening guys see you then bye, bye. bye.